I want to begin by thanking Katie Dickhouse for speaking last week at the end of the, of the sermon. Um, Mike and Katie and Eleanor have been through a lot, as you all know, and they have remained an inspiration to so many of us at Woodmont and Nashville and, and across the, the country uh, this year. And so I think that this family has embodied the words of Paul that we looked at last week, that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. But I hope you will continue to pray for them and love them and support them as they journey forward um, and, and, and spread hope uh, in this community. There are many people who believe that Romans is the most important book in the entire Bible. Um, no book has had a larger influence on Protestant theology than the book of Romans. And no book contains a better representation of Paul's general theology. Um, the great theologian Karl Barth, who was kind of like part of the Trinity at uh, Princeton Seminary, uh, said that this book, you cannot underestimate the impact of this book, and he wrote an entire commentary on Paul's epistle to the Romans. It influenced his thinking and his theology. But Romans is not an easy book. I told you last week, it's kind of like going to Bucky's. There is so much in Romans. And you're overwhelmed a little bit, right? Because there's so much to dive into and we're not gonna be able to get to everything uh, during this series. But it deals with some of the deep theological questions that we ask in the Christian faith. Um, Romans is different from Paul's other letters because he was writing it to a community that he had not yet visited. Remember his other letters were to communities that he had visited and planted churches. He was checking on them and reminding them of themes. That's not the case in Romans. And so when he's writing Romans, here's what he's doing. He's talking about the concept of sin and how it separates us from God. He's talking about the universal need of salvation in Christ and the availability of that salvation. He's talking about justification that is available to all by grace and we accept that through faith. He's talking about righteousness, a right relationship with God. He's talking about how the only way to a right relationship with God is to take him at his word and to cast oneself on God's mercy and love. And he also says, by the way, we don't earn this and we don't deserve it, but it's a gift that we call grace and we receive it through faith. So I've told you that as we study Romans, we must continue to grapple with the complexity of the human condition. So in our text today, Paul describes this challenge very well. He says, I, I do not understand my own actions, for, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. A few verses later, he says, I, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. Let me read that again. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. Every minister has different commentaries and things that we go to when we're preparing sermons. And for me, for many years, William Barclay has been one of those. But Barclay says that in these verses, Paul is bearing his soul. And he's telling us of an experience which is of the very essence of being human. Paul knew that he was right and he wanted to, to do it. He knew what was right, he wanted to do it, and yet somehow he couldn't. He knew what was wrong, and the last thing he wanted to do was what was wrong, but he just kept doing it. Paul felt himself to be a, a split 
personality. It was like two men were inside one skin pulling in different directions. It's been said before that we are mysteries to ourselves. We have a very hard time figuring ourselves out. Remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew's gospel in the Garden of Gethsemane when he couldn't stay awake. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how often do we feel that way? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think every single one of us, if we're honest, can relate to these verses in Romans 7. We are aware of the things that we should be doing in life, but sometimes we just can't seem to do it. Or let's get more specific. We know we shouldn't treat our spouses and our family members badly and with disrespect, but we do. We get irritable and we give them what's left over when they deserve our best. We know we shouldn't gossip about other people and spread rumors that we hear, but, but we do. We know we shouldn't get angry, frustrated, and worked up over little things in life, but we do. We know we shouldn't judge other people for things that they cannot help, but we do. We know we shouldn't eat excessive amounts of unhealthy food, but we do. And man, is it good. We know we shouldn't drink large amounts of alcohol and then get behind the wheel of a car. But sometimes we do. And likewise, there are things that we should do that we don't do. We know we should pray more often and more passionately, but we don't. We know we should read the Bible on a regular basis and reflect on scripture so that we can grow, but we don't. We wait for Sunday. We know we should exercise and, and rest and take care of ourselves, but we don't. We know we should tell our family members that we love them and that we appreciate them more often, but we don't. We know we should forgive other people who have hurt us and done us wrong, but we don't, and then we carry the burden. We know we should give thanks for the many blessings that we have in life rather than always wanting more and being unsatisfied, but we don't. You know, we can all resonate with these words of Paul. I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The Bible calls this sin. And I've always understood sin to be brokenness. It's an inevitable part of the human condition which separates us from God. And so the question that we have to answer is, so what do we do about it? What do we do about this human dilemma, this existential human dilemma, to use a fancy phrase, where we constantly struggle to make good decisions and to do the right thing? We can't give up. That's not a good option. You know, some will say, well, I'm not worried about it because I know that God forgives me and there's grace. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace, where you know you're forgiven, but you don't try. We have to try. Human beings are capable of so much good, and yet we're also capable of doing and saying some pretty terrible things, sometimes on the same day. And in Romans, Paul repeatedly talks about the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. And we had an interesting conversation in staff meeting about works of the flesh and how much good is in us. William Barclay says that in these verses in Romans 7, you might call them the demonstration of our inadequacies. 
First, he says, it demonstrates the inadequacy of human knowledge. If to know the right thing was to do it, then life would be easy, right? But knowledge by itself does not make a person good. It's the same in every walk of life. Think about it. We may know how golf should be played, but that's very different from actually playing it. We may know how poetry should be written, but that's very different from writing it. We may know how we should act in certain situations, but that's very different from actually acting that way. Barclay says this is the biggest difference between religion and morality. Morality is knowledge of a code, but religion, specifically Christianity, is knowledge of a person. And it's only when we know Christ and have a relationship with Christ that we're able to do what we know we ought to do. The second thing he says is that these verses demonstrate the inadequacy of human resolve. To resolve to do something is very different from actually doing it. Human beings often have great intentions, but we lack follow through. Did you sign up for something at the ministry fair? Are you gonna show up, right? Human beings can have big plans, but we fail to execute. Uh, Peter once said to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then we know how that turned out, right? Human will unstrengthened by Christ is bound to crack. It's bound to break. So good intentions are simply not enough in life. It has to lead to action and follow through. Third, Barclay says that these verses identify the inadequacies of simply diagnosing the problem and then leaving it at that. Paul knew quite clearly what was wrong, but he was unable to make it right. It's like a doctor who can diagnose an illness, but then says, good luck dealing with that. So many people in our world are really good at, at identifying problems, criticizing a situation, saying what's wrong, tearing things down. It's popular to be cynical, but very few can come up with solutions. If you're gonna criticize and diagnose a situation, you must also offer solutions. Jesus Christ gives us solutions to some of our deepest problems. He tells us to love others unconditionally. He tells us to forgive and pray for our persecutors. He tells us not to judge. He tells us to treat other people the way we wanna be treated. Imagine if the world lived by that. He tells us to show mercy and compassion. He tells us to serve and look out for the least of these. He tells us to take the log out of our own eyes before we remove the speck from our neighbor's eyes. He tells us not to worry and not to be afraid. He tells us to not worship money and possessions. He teaches us what it means to bring the kingdom of God here to earth today, right now. He shows us the way to peace a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that the world does not give. And he teaches us that death does not have the final say. So we're all broken. Every single one of us, and yes, you can, you can read Romans on your own and go, man, this is depressing, right? You can get there. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. We all do things that we know we shouldn't. And so we resonate with these words. I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. But remember, 
God reached out to us in our condition by sending Christ into the world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for me, for you. And he taught us how to live, taught us how to love, taught us how to serve. In um, 2015, I finished uh, doing my doctorate at Sewanee. I did that in the summers for a number of years. Um, it was fun to balance that with leading a church. But that fall, I went up to, um, to Boston and I took a, a class at, at Harvard at the extension school there that was called Managing Yourself and Leading Others. Um, it was enlightening and beneficial. We, we studied the topics of leadership and influence and culture, team building, relationships, the currency of trust, and many other things. And I took a lot away from it. And, and I've always believed that the more any of us can do to sharpen our saw, as Stephen Covey once said, to continue to learn and grow, the better off we're gonna be. So whether that's podcasts, whether that's retreats, whether that's a coach or a counselor or a mentor, that's good. But there's one truth that is undeniable that we really talked about in that class, and it's this. So many of us have a hard time leading ourselves. And I think it's true because of what Paul is saying in these verses. We often don't understand why we do certain things over and over again. We get frustrated with ourselves. We get frustrated with our spouses. Last Sunday, I mentioned an article that was in the Atlantic recently titled, How Americans Got Mean, and which says at the end of the day, we've become a culture where moral formation is not happening and people are no longer trained in how to treat others with kindness and decency and consideration. We even saw some of that downtown this week in the legislature. That article says that moral formation involves three things. First, helping other people learn to restrain their selfishness, and that's at the heart of Christianity. Second, teaching basic social and ethical skills. And third, helping people find purpose in life because too many people have no idea what their purpose is. And so I happen to believe that Christianity and the church should help us deal with all of these things. But here's what seems to be missing in the lives of so many people. And I've noticed this for a long time and I'm sure many of you have as well, but it's emotional intelligence that is linked to faith formation and spiritual growth. Let me say that again. Emotional intelligence that is linked to faith formation and spiritual growth. Meaning we should follow Jesus because he can help us develop our emotional intelligence as we wrestle with the human dilemma that Paul describes in Romans seven. So what does it look like? Self-awareness. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? Everybody seems to point out what's wrong with everybody else, but, but, but they don't own their own shortcomings. You know, every time we point a finger at somebody else, we got three fingers coming right back to the source of most of our problems, right? But many people are afraid to own their own shortcomings because it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's humbling, but it's necessary. Self-regulation. Jesus says if you're angry with a brother or sister, you need to go and reconcile with them before you bring your gift to the altar. Paul says don't let the sun go down in your anger in Ephesians. How do we regulate our thoughts and our behavior? Motivation. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
People of faith are called to shine light in the darkness and provide healing for the brokenhearted. But if we don't know our purpose or our mission or why we're here, then that's gonna be hard. There's empathy. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He says, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. We got habitat coming up. We got room in the inn coming up. Empathy always involves showing compassion for those who are hurting and suffering, which includes providing the basic necessities of life, Matthew 25. And the last part of this is social skills. You know, the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry was what? Recruited 12 people. And they all weren't that impressive, to be honest with you, if you read the context, right? They got a lot of things wrong. But Jesus knew the importance of relationships and community and social gatherings. So what I'm trying to say is that when we hear these words of Paul, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. It should challenge us and, and, and challenge us to grow. And to grow in life, we have to understand where we are, where we struggle, and how other people experience us. Because too many people go through life with no clue how they come across. But the only way to find peace is to know yourself, to love God, to let God love you even in a broken state, and then to go and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we look to Jesus, then he guides us every single step of the way. And we all long for peace, right? We all look for peace, we all want peace. But there are certain things that we can do to find it. Amen.